there, you know, then it was a lot different because uh, it, it, down here it was a value, you know, where the red food store was then. If you get somebody, you could take off if you could get someone to work for you. And so the weekend they got married, he needed somebody to work for him, and he asked me if I would. And I went down there and worked on Friday and Saturday. I know he might have taken a month's uh, honeymoon. I don't know. But uh, at any rate, uh, I will never forget that because after that weekend, uh, I got to work more uh, as a result. But it's always great to see Millis. And I think about his parents and uh, how we grew up together here and, and what a blessing. I love seeing my cousin Larry. Uh, well, I mean, I think, Larry, you were named after me. Uh, his mother... Now, he's in, so I look, he's a many years younger than I am, so that's the reason it can be done. Uh, his mother babysat for me for, I don't know what was it, but at any rate, and she said that if she ever had a son, she's going to name him Larry. And now he regrets that forever, I'm sure. But <laughs> no, it's good to see he and Jane. I, I was preaching uh, for the All Good Church uh, in All Good Tennessee, which uh, just, of course, outside or part of Cookville. And I was preaching there, and uh, Larry and Jane came over to Cookville uh, to Tennessee Tech University. Uh, I think I had graduated the previous year, I'm not sure, but uh, Larry and Jane came over there. And I believe I'm right, uh, Jane was not a member of the church at that time. They came out to All Good, and I visited with them and uh, studied the Bible, and Jane was baptized into Christ. And of course, now he's one of the elders of the Greens Lake Road congregation. And what, it's just a joy, you know. Uh, and Brother Art Greer, you know, I think of Art and his family. Uh, when we had the first service, now, I, I don't know, I think I'm right in this, Art. When we had the first service there, first Sunday in November 1947, your dad led the singing that day. Uh, I, it just, I look back and I see these uh, memories that come rushing back into my mind. Let me tell you what I thank God for. I thank God that we're all Christians. I thank God that we've all obeyed the gospel of Christ. I thank God that we're able to assemble here some 50-something, 60 years later, and we're able to study the Bible together and to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you think about the, the memories that we have, uh, you know, the Bible said, uh, Peter said, I stir up your pure mind by way of remembrance. Uh, and, you know, when we partake of the Lord's Supper on uh, the first day of the week, uh, the Bible teaches us, this do in remembrance of me, uh, when you read in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. And so when you and I see the precious memories uh, that we have of brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, what a great joy it is. I always, love, of course, I love to see gospel preachers. Uh, I, you may have heard this story. I may have told it. I don't know. I've only told everything I know 400 times. But uh, I thought about the preacher, Brother Rick. I don't know if you hunt or not. But I thought about the preacher and two elders went hunting. And uh, when uh, they got out there, you know, in the, hunt, the stand, whatever it was. I've never done it. But at any rate, they got out there and they saw this deer. Man, they got a bead on that thing. And all three of them. Pull the trigger at the same time. Man, that deer fell. They rushed out there. Well, they were trying to determine which one of the shots, which one of the bullets killed the deer. Because the two elders shot and so did the preacher. And they couldn't figure it out, Brother Eric. So they, thought, they, so they took it to the uh, 
uh, fellow's going to stuff it up for him, you know, and, and they told him, said, we need you to do something for us. When you uh, stuff this deer, we want to find out if you can tell which one of the bullets killed the deer. So sure enough, they went, I wanted to call him a dermatologist, but that's not what he is. But anyway, <laughs> at any rate, they, they went back, and uh, so they asked him, they said, could you find out? Did you figure out which one of the shots killed the deer? He said, yes, I did. I sure did. They said, you did? He said, yes. And they said, well, which one was it? He said, it was the preacher's. And they said, well, how did you figure that out? He said, because it went in one ear and came out the other. (laughs) That's about the way it does when you're preaching. Turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings chapter number 2. Now, we're going to go back... We're going to look at three specific passages of Scripture. When you and I study the Bible, Jesus said in John chapter number 14, He said, you know, I am going to prepare a place for you. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whether I go, you know, on the way, you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not where thou goest. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. When you and I turn to the book of Matthew, chapter number 25, I I look at Matthew chapter 25, and I I see what I call the invitation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He had already said in Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. But in Matthew chapter 25, if you'll remember, uh, he actually, there are three uh, situations there. Remember the uh, five wise virgins and the foolish virgins in the early part of Matthew chapter 25. And then he talks about the five, two, and the one talent man. And then when he comes down to verse number 31, the Bible says, When the Son of Man shall come in all of His glory and all of His holy angels with Him, then shall He sit on the throne of His glory, and there shall be gathered together all nations. He'll separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left. You and I know what our Lord is teaching in that passage of Scripture. As you and I look at these passages of Scripture, we must recognize that every man, woman, boy, and girl who has reached the age of accountability has a responsibility in obedience to the gospel. In Hebrews chapter number 5, you remember the Bible says, Though he were a son, yet learned the obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. I think of the words that we read in the book of Second Thessalonians chapter number 1. The Bible says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them who know not God, and obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every man, woman, boy, and girl shall stand before God in the day of judgment, and the Bible teaches us that we will give an account of ourselves before Him. With that view in mind, ladies and gentlemen, we need to recognize that God in His Word has set the parameters. Now I want you to look in the book of 1 Kings chapter number 2. 
There's an interesting, if you go to verse 36 uh, and read down, and I'm not going to read those passages. You just make a note and read, read them later. I'm going to just summarize it for you. But in 1 Kings chapter number 2, verses 36 through the end of the chapter, Solomon now is king. And on this particular occasion, there was a man by the name of Shimei. And King Solomon went to Shimei, and he said, Now, Shimei, I want to make an agreement with you. I want to make an arrangement with you. Well, okay, what is it? And he said, Now, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. I want you to build you a house in Jerusalem. Now, I don't want you to go outside or past the brook Kidron, because if you do, you will die. Or Shimei said, well, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Uh, I will agree to that, which he did. Now, time goes by, and all of a sudden, word comes back to Solomon that Shimei had, what happened? He had servants who left and went to Achish over in Gath. Shimei said, whoa, wait a minute now, I'm not going to lose my servants. So he goes after his servants in Gath, and he brings them back in the process of time Someone said, Solomon, you know what Shimei did? Yeah, what did he do? He went to Gath. That's outside the brook Kidron. He called him in, and the last verse of that chapter says, Shimei died. See, that was what, that was what he had told us. He and Solomon, they had that conversation. That when you, if you go past the brook Kidron, you're going to die. Now, what took place on that occasion? Well, Solomon had a boundary that he had for Shimei. Now, you, you may be saying, well, why would he do something like that? Well, go back to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter number 16. When you go back to 2 Samuel 16, what you find is that Shimei was a descendant of Saul, and that David and his men, they come through, and again, I'm paraphrasing this, and they come through, and Shimei curses. David, not only does he, but he, can you imagine throwing rocks, I mean, he throws rocks at him. I, you know, I think about, I, I can just kind of see this, as, as David and his men, and, and maybe, you know, the Bible said he cast dust, I don't know if he kicked it, I don't know if he picked it up and threw dust at him. But here was Shimei, and he was, he was deriding the king, and David's men said, let us take care of him. David said, no. No, just let him go. He was also a follower of David's son, Absalom. Now, here's something that's interesting. Because when you read in first or Second Samuel 16, and you read about Shimei and what he did, and you find out that on this occasion, David said, no, let him, let, let him go. Just leave it alone. Let him go. And then when you come to the book of 1 Kings chapter number 2, and Solomon says to him, don't you go past this boundary, then you and I must recognize that here is an individual who had defied God's anointed, folks. And a man who defied God's anointing deserved death. But what he received was mercy and grace. You and I, ladies and gentlemen, you and I in the same situation that Simeon was in. You and I deserve death. We are the sinner. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every man to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
The Bible says there's no man upon this earth that doeth good and sinneth not. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You and I are separated. Isaiah tells us this in Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot reach, neither are his ears heavy that he cannot hear, but your sin has separated between you and your God. And you and I are separated from God because, see, ladies and gentlemen, we deserve death. Wherefore, by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, therefore death is passed upon all men, for all have sinned. I deserve death, just as Shimei. And when you and I look at this, and we recognize that he has defied the when a man separates himself from God, when a man looks at the world, love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, these things are of the world. They're not of the Father. The world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You and I are separated from God because of the world. You and I, ladies and gentlemen, deserve death. But Jesus Christ, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us that you and I recognize in Ephesians 1, verse number 7, in whom we have redemption through His blood. We look at the words of Paul in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, in which he said, We've been delivered from the power of darkness, translated into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins. So we look at Shimei, and we recognize that he defied the anointed, he deserved death, but he discovered grace and mercy. Turn with me to the book of Titus. Titus chapter number 2. The Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. I want you to look at this. In Titus chapter 2, the Bible says, The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. Now, there are those individuals uh, who have this concept of universal salvation. Ladies and gentlemen, listen, the devil would be a fool if, if salvation is universal. And they say, well, Christ died for all men. Sure he did. All we like to He's died for all of us. But if universal salvation, Christ dying for all of us, if that means everybody is going to be saved, the devil is a fool. Well, he's a fool anyhow. But at any rate, uh, you and I, would, why would he tempt man to sin when it's not going to make any difference at all? Now, in Titus 2, the grace of God that brings us salvation has appeared unto all men. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Now, I want you to draw a box, put a box, and on the inside of that box, I want you to put three words. I want you to put the word learning, living, and looking. Now, on the outside of the box, I want you to put the word redeem, justification, because when you look at Titus chapter 2, 11 through verse 14, 
And the Bible says because that He has redeemed us, purified unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. And so when you look on the outside of that box and you see that the blood of Jesus Christ has bought us back, it has redeemed us, purified unto Himself a peculiar people. But then on the inside of that box, look at these three words. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching. Now, that I've got the word learning. Teaching implies learning, folks. That's where Romans ten seventeen comes in. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That you and I recognize that there is something we must learn, and that is we learn what God wants us to do in order to be saved. Then there's a second word there, living. Now notice again what he's saying. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. That there is something that you and I do as God's children. Uh, you, when you and I read the Scriptures, for an example, uh, in the book of Matthew chapter number 5, 10, 11, and 12, the Bible talks about now uh, those individuals who are persecuted for righteousness. He said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you, persecute you, shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. When you and I recognize that as a result of our serving God, that we are to follow in His footsteps, that He suffered for us, leaving us an example, First Peter 2 tells us, that we should follow in His footsteps. When we look at Luke 17, verse number 10, and the Bible said, when we've done that which it is our duty to do, we're still unprofitable servants. And so when you look at the word learning, and you look at the word living, now watch this also, and that is that third word, looking looking for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us, purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a picture of grace. I've told this probably, I don't know if I did it in North Hamilton or over at Greens Lake Road. I did not like school, folks. Uh, I, I don't know... I graduated at Red Bank, I think, I don't know if you, you graduated a year before me, I think, Millis. And I graduated in 1958. Arthur Butler, do you remember Brother Butler? He was the, he was the assistant principal uh, at Red Bank High School. And he came to me, and the, this was, folks, this was the last day of school. I do not know how many people have, have experienced this, but I'm going to tell you, I did not like school. Uh, I only went in just because I had to go. I didn't want to. Uh, I, if your children are here, just cover their ear. Because I, I just went because I had to. And so the last day of school, and I, I mean, this was it. Mr. Butler came. I was in Miss Caballero's class, chemistry, and he knocked on the door, and she went to the door, and she motioned me to come out in the hallway. I go out there, and Mr. Butler said, uh, Larry, uh we got a problem. And I said, well, maybe you do. I, no, I didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> he said, uh, you know, today's last day of school. And I said, yes, sir. He said, well, there is a rule that says you cannot graduate uh, from school with uh, detentions on your record. In other words, if you have a detention, that has got to be cleared up before you can graduate. Uh, well, now let me tell you about the attention. It's 45 minutes after school, and I had three of them. 
Now, the reason I had three detentions was I had been tardy. That's all I... And the reason I was tardy, there was a donut shop in Red Bank. And I did... I mean, I wouldn't go to school until... Now, I'm, I'm honest. I, I would not go to school until the hot donuts came out. Now we got Krispy Kreme with a big red sign, you know. But I wouldn't go. So I would go there, and I, if they were late coming out, I was late to school. And so I, I had these detentions because I'd been tardy. And uh, he said, uh, I said, well, what are we going to do? He said, Larry, the only thing I can tell you is we just have to paddle them off. I said, well, okay, I want to graduate. Eighteen licks, folks. He told me, he said, just go get in line down here at the board bathroom. So I go down there, and, and I, got, I got 18 licks my last day of high school. But see, I didn't like school. Now, let me back up a little bit and give you, show you a, I want you to see a picture of grace. I was in the 11th grade. I was in the 11th grade English. My teacher was Miss I.K. Snyder. I'm sure uh, some of you folks who went to Red Bank uh, may have remembered Miss Snyder. Miss I.K. Snyder was my uh, English teacher. I'm going down the hallway. It's, it's the first day or sometime just right after the first semester. She's standing in the doorway. And as I go by, she said, Larry, I need you to come in the classroom for a minute. Let me tell you, when a teacher takes you in the classroom and closes the door, you're in trouble. So I go in there and she said, Larry, I hate to tell you this, but you have failed the first semester or the, the, uh, this semester of English. Do you know what that means? I said, no, ma'am, not really. She said, well, let me tell you what it means. We do not offer junior English in summer school. Therefore, in order for you to graduate, uh, you're going to miss your graduation with your class because you're going to have to come back next year, take junior English before you can take senior English, and therefore you will not graduate until a year later. But here's what she said to me. I don't want to see that happen to you. And she said, I'm going to give you, I want you to do this. I want you to write me a one-page theme on anything. I don't care what it is, one page on anything. I will give you a high enough grade to pass you for this semester of English. My friend, let me tell you something. That's grace. I did not deserve it. I had sat in the back of the classroom every day. She had, a, she had bookshelves back there with Reader's Digest. And I would go to class, reach behind, and I would get a Reader's Digest out, and, and they had laughter the best medicine. I'm telling you, they, they were really good jokes. But I failed English. She said, I'm going to move you up to the front seat. That shook me up, folks. Because of the grace of Miss I.K. Snyder, I was able to graduate with my class in 1958. I didn't deserve it. I didn't do enough to merit a passing grade. But because of her grace and because of her love for her students, my friend, listen to this tonight, you and I are saved by the grace of God. I don't deserve it. I have not anything that I can stand before Him and say, hey, look at what I have done. My friend, shimmy, I pass up the grace of God. When you and I study the Bible, we must recognize that God has placed boundaries upon man. 
For an example, when you and I go to the book of Genesis, chapter number 3, and we find that Satan appears to Eve, and he, oh, oh I, we can eat of every tree of the garden but this one. God, what did he do? He didn't put them in the garden and say, okay, well, you just eat every tree. No, no, no. He said you can eat of every tree out of the garden but one. What did God do? He put a boundary. You can't eat of this tree. In the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. See, folks have this idea, well, Brother Acuff, we can just sort of do what... No, we can't do what we want to, ladies and gentlemen. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what liberalism says. I do not care what the, 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 the philosophy of uh, humanism... I don't care about that. Because the Bible says that God put a boundary in the Garden of Eden, and He said, In the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Go with me to the book of uh, Genesis again, down to the 11th chapter. When you look at Genesis chapter 11, oh, what are they doing? They're building this tower. Oh, we're going to reach heaven. God looked down. I'm going to go down there and kind of visit around this thing. He did not want that to take place. What did he do? He confused their language. I don't have any foreign languages. Any of you know? I know German. Sprechen Sie Deutsch, and that's about it. Yeah, uh, I, we had a we had a lady in our congregation from Germany, fluent in German, fluent in English. She did something for me one time. I don't remember what it was, but I I, I sent her a thank you card, and on one side of the card. I, I wrote in English, and on one side I wrote in German. A few days later, her service, I said, Sister Trudy, did you get my card? She said, yeah. I said, what do you think? She said, I could understand your German better than your English. And so, you know. Think about the Tower of Babel. What did God do? God confused her. Can you imagine? You and I, this audience, great we have this the evening, and we're, we're out here in the foyer, and we're speaking to one another, and all of a sudden, Brother Eric speaks to me in one language, uh, and then Brother Art speaks to me in another language, and Brother Miller speaks to me in another language, Brother Ed Lewis speaks to me in another language, and here we are, we're all confused. Why? Because God placed a boundary on the Tower of Babel. Go with me to the book of Exodus. You remember when Moses went upon the mountain? Moses went upon the mountain. What did God do? God put a boundary. He put down at the foot of that mountain. He said, you cross that, you will die. What did he do? A boundary. When you and I again, folks, we see in Psalm 90, God has put a boundary. Our years are three score years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be four score years, I am trying to help, and he points this out to Job in Job chapter 14 as well, that God placed a boundary, folks. Now, when you and I recognize this, and then when we look at the New Testament, and we see that God has placed boundaries. See, humanism, you've got ecumenism, you have humanism, and you have various seasons. I mean, you've got pessimism, humanism, ecumenism. And when you look, you look at all of these concepts, uh, I have a book in my library called Good Without God, written by a chaplain who was at the Harvard uh, School. Good Without God? And so when you, you know, I think about the, uh, the statement somebody said 
Once I was a tadpole swimming in the sea, and then I was a monkey swinging from a tree, and now I'm a professor with a Ph.D. That's what the world says. God put a boundary. So when you and I look at these boundaries, now let me just briefly go through a few of these. God has placed boundaries when it comes to the church, the body of Jesus Christ. You see, ladies and gentlemen, when you and I look, the church, this, the church bought by the blood of Christ. Paul said to the elders at Ephesus, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost that made your overseers. Feed the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. The church, the Bible teaches, Ephesians chapter number 4, the Bible says there is one body, and one spirit, even as you're calling, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is above all through all and in you all. Now, I'm going to tell you, men, you, you out here and you talk to anybody, say, well, you know, uh, brother, I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm over here at this denomination, and I'm over here at that denomination, I'm over here at this church. Wait a minute. How many gods are there? Oh, well, well, well there's one God. How many Lord? Well, just one Lord. How many, well, just one faith. How many churches? 400,000. The Bible says there's one body. We know that that one body is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible in Ephesians chapter number 5, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. See, there's not, my friend, there is one body. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, Paul said, I beseech you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing, that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. It has been reported unto me of you, my brethren, by them of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Some say, I have Paul, I have Paul, I have Cephas, I have Christ. The church is not a divided body, ladies and gentlemen. It is one body. The Bible says there are many members, yet one body. In John chapter number 17, you remember the prayer of our Lord. I pray that they all might be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may be one in us. Why? That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. That's a boundary, folks. Matthew chapter 16, you, many of you I'm sure can quote it. Jesus said, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And he said, Peter, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom. I will listen to this, whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth, bind shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth. What are we looking at? Boundaries. God placed boundaries. When you look at the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's just amazing to me, folks, when you, when you look out here and you see all of these religious groups, denominations, what have you, uh, it's amazing to me. It, well, we're going to have a community church. Well, bless your heart. My friend, there is one body, and that is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it wears His name. It took me years to ever get through college. Uh, you know, my kids, they, they, they said, we ain't going to be like daddy. But at any rate, I was, I was, taking, I was teaching at Boyd's uh, Buchanan, and uh, I was taking some classes at the University of, it was University of Chattanooga then. 
And I had this, I had to take some kind of a music class, and I had this professor. My wife worked in, in one of the offices that you see, and she told me later, she said, you know, Larry, that teacher that you've got for music, his wife also teaches there, but she does not wear his name. I said, she doesn't? He said, no. As a matter of fact, some of them told her that she would not wear his name until he did something worthy enough for her to wear his name. Name's important, folks. It identifies. I'm going to tell you something. You and I recognize that the church belongs to Jesus Christ. Oh, Brother Acuff, it doesn't make any... You don't believe it makes any difference. Be like the guy that went to a denominational service one night. They were having a meeting. Now, these, these churches... Uh, they'll take up a collection every night sometime. And so uh, he had heard the preacher. The preacher had said, man, there's nothing in the name. It doesn't matter what name you wear. You can wear any name. And so uh, they also took up a collection, and this fellow wrote him a check. The next day, the secretary of the church called him and said, uh, sir, we want to thank you so much for your contribution last night of $1,000. We're just so grateful. She said, there is one thing you forgot to sign the check. He said, no ma'am, I didn't forget to sign the check. Your preacher said that it doesn't matter what name you wear, so you just write any name you want to on that check. Listen, folks, I thought about, I, I, I read about a, an attorney, you know, a lawyer, and he had met a fellow that he had gone to school with. And, he had, and the fellow with whom he had gone to school had be, just literally become a bum. And so he, met, he happened to run into him, and they got to talking, and, and he said, you know, I'm an attorney now, I'm doing this. And the guy said, yeah, I know, I've seen your name in the paper, and I, I know, I, I understand. And, and so the attorney said, look, I want, to do, I want to do something for you. And he got out his checkbook, and he wrote that fellow, a homeless guy, I guess, a check. Uh, for a good amount of money, and he said, I want to give this to you. And the fellow took that check, and he said, they're not going to cash that check. He said, look at me. I haven't bathed in weeks. My hair is almost down to my waist. I haven't shaved. I stink. And you think I'm going in to the bank, and they're going to cash this check? He said, it doesn't matter what you look like. What matters is the name on the check. Ladies and gentlemen, God put a boundary on His kingdom. He put a boundary on His church. It is not called the Church of Christ simply because somebody has selected a denominational name. It is called the Church of Christ because it is the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. And when you and I look at the, He put boundary on the organization of the church. See, denominationalism says, well, I think we're... We're going to have this synod here. Uh, we're going to have Georgia and Tennessee, and we're going to put a bishop over the state of Tennessee and a bishop over the state of Georgia. Uh, and now when you need a preacher, you call the bishop and we'll find one. You see some young man who is about 22 years of age and he's not married, uh, and, and you meet him. I'm Larry Acuff. I preach for the least of the Freedom Church of Christ. Well, I'm pastor so and so, and I preach for XYZ Church. He's not a pastor. You know why? Because the Bible put boundaries on it. The Bible says if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And so when you and I look at the word bishop and shepherd and overseer and pastor, and we look at all that, what do we find? That God placed a boundary on the organization. Let this Springs Church of Christ has no 
authority over the White Oak Church of Christ. God, when He gave His Son and His blood for us, and Jesus Christ, His Son, established His body, He is the head of it. And so, this evening, when you and I look at the boundary, we see that the boundary in the organization, we see the boundary in the worship of the church. God's the Spirit, John four twenty four. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Isn't it amazing, folks, that denominationalism, they believe 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Listen to what it says. The Bible says, As I've given order unto the church of Galatia, even so do ye upon the first day of the week. Let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And they'll take up a collection every first day of the week. But when it comes time to partake of the Lord's... Well, now we just do it once a quarter. Or I remember I was in, preaching in Allen Park, Michigan. And I ran into... There was this large Baptist church there. And I ran into the preacher one day and... We were talking, and we got into this discussion, and I said, uh, you don't have the Lord's Supper every first day of the week, do you? No. No, I said, when do you have it? Well, when the Lord lays it on my heart. Well, I'm going to tell you something. The Lord laid it on my heart in His Word, folks. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. Now, you've got a, he had a big church, about 2,000 members of the Allen Park Baptist Church. And I said, okay, now you're, I said, do you preach on, oh yeah, I preach on, I said, you're sitting up on the pulpit and you're getting ready to preach. I said, what if the Lord lays it on your heart? You better have the Lord's Supper today. You haven't made any preparation. See, the Bible instructs us to partake of the Lord. Now watch this language. Those of you who are Greek scholars, and I'm sure we have them in this assembly, notice what Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, the Bible says, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them. My understanding from those who know the Greek is this, that Acts 20 and verse 7, the Greek language upon the first day of the week is the same as 1 Corinthians chapter 16 uh, upon the first day of the week. So there, what's God done? He's put a boundary, folks. That boundary in worship and partaking of the Lord's Supper. That boundary is singing. You know, we... man. I was out in Oklahoma City speaking a few years ago, and there was the Quail Holla Church of Christ uh, in Oklahoma City, and they, just not long before I was out there, I was at the uh, Central Church in Moore, Oklahoma, and just, uh, uh, just a few weeks before I was out there, the Quail Holla Church of Christ made the decision, we're going to start using the instruments. And so I asked the preacher, I said, would you t take me over there? I want to go take me over to the Quail Holla Church. So he did. There wasn't anybody there that day. But I noticed that right next to it, there were, on the sign, it had the, the instrument time of the service. And there was a, a little wall. I mean, you could step over it. And on the other side of it was the Baptist church. I said, why don't you just, why didn't they just tear down the wall and all of them get together? Because they're doing the same thing, folks. It violates the principles of New Testament Christianity. The Bible teaches us to sing and to make melody in our hearts of the Lord. You have the praise teams. Somebody asked me one day, said, y'all got a praise team where you preach? I said, we sure do. You do? I said, yes. They said, well, how many are in your praise team? I said, 165. Because everybody sings. Everybody praises God. What did God do? God put a boundary, folks. 
He put a boundary on the name. He put a boundary on the worship. He put a boundary on the organization. He put a boundary on salvation. And that boundary on salvation is very simple. And that is that when you and I obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we are saved according to the pages of the New Testament. When we hear the Word of God, Romans 10, 17, and when we believe in Jesus as the Son of God, when we change our life by repentance and confess the name of Christ before men, we are baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins. Now watch this, ladies and gentlemen. Listen, you, you can go out anywhere you want to tomorrow. Someone whom you know may be religious. Uh, maybe, maybe you get into some Bible discussions, and so you ask them, how, how were you saved? Oh, uh, I, I've raised my hand, Lord. It'll come into my heart. I, I believe God for Christ's sake is part of my said, said the sinner's prayer. Not baptized for the remission of sin. Ask them what saves them. Well, you and I know, folks, that it's the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ. Now go back to Exodus chapter number 12. In the 12th chapter of the book of Exodus, do you remember that God said, Moses, I want you to take a lamb, put it up a certain number of days. Then I want you to take that lamb and you slit its throat, take the blood, and you put the blood over the doorpost, and then when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. You and I know, folks, that it was the blood, obedience, put over the doorpost. Oh, somebody said, oh, no. Mo- Moses said, look, here's what you got. Oh, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let blood out of that. No, no. I tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna take a I'm just gonna take one of those lambs and I'm gonna put it in one of the rooms over here of our, our place and when God sees the no, that didn't work. No, that's not gonna Well, I'll put him out here on the step. No, that's not gonna work. You take that lamb and you slit its throat and you take that blood and you put it over the doorpost, and that saves you. Now watch this. The Bible, you remember what John said in John 1, 29? Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. You can talk to religious people and they, oh yeah, we're saved by the blood of Jesus. Well, my question now is this. How do you come into contact with that blood? See, if you go back to Exodus chapter 12, they drained that blood out of that animal and they put it in the basin and then they put it... So, if we're saved by the blood of Jesus, I will ask you a question. Were you at the foot of the cross and did you have something to gather the blood when our Lord Jesus Christ shed His blood for us? I mean, and so you take that? Well, no, why, why, why no, we, we, there wouldn't be enough blood. So how do we do it? Well, we do it very simply. Romans chapter number 6, verse 16. The Bible says that you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that was delivered to you. Being then made freed from sin, you became a servant of righteousness. That what? That form of doctrine. What's that form? Well, he tells us in Romans 6. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we the dead of sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into His death. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. 
1 Corinthians 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preach unto you, which you have received, were in your stead, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preach unto you, and I deliver unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, how that he was buried, and raised again the third day, according to the Scriptures. You want to be saved by the blood? See, God put a boundary on salvation. There's only, my friend, listen, there's only one thing that will save us tonight, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. There is only one way that the Scriptures teach us to come into contact with that blood, and that is in the watery grave of baptism, that we become dead to the world, we're buried in water, and we're resurrected to walk in a new life. God put a boundary. My friend... God put a boundary, not only on the church, its name, its organization, its worship, its plan of salvation. He's put a boundary on how we are to live. There are so many individuals who have the idea, well, I, I, I just be baptized and that's it. No, no. I was preaching at Woodland Heights 450 years ago. And uh, I hadn't been down there very long. And I got a phone call from a, a family that attended there. They really weren't very faithful. They, they were Sunday morning, but not much. Sometimes they didn't mind missing that. But anyhow, they called me one day and they said, uh, Brother Acuff, our son wants to be baptized. And uh, we would we'd like for the A.S. Landis, Brother Landis preached it uh, there before I did, and a fine, fine gospel preacher. And they said, Would you mind if. If we call Brother Landis, if he baptized our son, I said, no, no, that'd be fine. So Brother Landis came on Sunday evening. And so I went back when the young man was dressing, got dressed and put down the water. He went down the water and Brother Landis baptized him. When he came up, his dad was standing up there at the top step of the baptistry. And he rubbed his hands together like this. He said, well, we got that taken care of. There's a lot of members of the church who have the idea that once I get out of that baptistry on the other side, we've got it all taken care of. Listen to this, brother. You and I must be faithful. The Bible says, He that endureth to the end shall be saved. You and I, the Bible says, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In James 1, the Bible said, Whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer, of, listen to this, a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. We're going to stand in just a second and sing the song of encouragement. God has put a boundary. Hell is not built on a slant for those who lean toward the church. You and I must be obedient to the will of God. We must live the life of a Christian. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. The Bible says if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this name or on this behalf. This evening, have you obeyed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you living faithful? Are you within the bounds? Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. My friend, if you need to respond to the invitation of our Lord, will you do it right now while together we stand and sing the invitation song?